one thing that always comes up is like you guys don't have all the answers but we don't but what we do know is that the monoculture that we have now is not working <laughs> we know that Hello and welcome to Beyond Organic Wine. I'm Adam Huss coming to you from the unique vineyard at Piscinus Ranch in California. I do this podcast because I have a vision for wine that is counter to the dominant wine industry, and I want to share it. I want to see wine as an expansive and diverse cultural expression that grows out of unique characteristics, the ecology of specific places on earth. Culture is part of the earth and agriculture and culture are synonyms in my mind. I envision wine as a process of adaptive expression that never ends and is not limited to any trend of style, culture, or fruit. Because of this, wine's first priority in my mind is to protect and enhance the land from which it grows, because at its best, it can only embody the vibrant beauty of its ecosystem's health and harmony. I'm currently pruning grapevines most days, maybe you are too, and while this is repetitive work, I'm trying to make it my best, most meditative, thoughtful, mindful work. I pay attention and listen. Kelly Mulville is the vineyard manager here, and he encourages this. He says, vines are sentient beings. When I told this to a friend, he was skeptical. Do you believe that, he asked? Short answer is yes. But the longer answer is that our language is very limited. What does it mean for a vine to feel from the vine's perspective in the language of vine? I think vines want to live, but what does it mean to want in vine language? I don't know. If I'm honest, though I spend hours a day with thousands of vines, I know very little about them. In the absence of knowledge, I don't assume that I understand them. I don't assume greater validity to my way of thinking. I don't assume the superiority of my language. I know how limited I am, and therefore I know how little I would make the vine if I made any assumptions based on my own understanding. Instead of this reductive kind of thinking, I listen. I try to learn. One thing that I've learned is that there really isn't an individual being behind the word vine. This singular idea of a singular organism is just a irrational concept, a metaphor. In reality, the thing that we call a vine is an entire ecosystem made up of hundreds, thousands, even millions of lives. I noticed this first in the oak savanna on the hillsides around the vineyards with trees. A quote-unquote tree is actually a, a collection of lives, lichens and mosses and mistletoes and galls and mushrooms and more, all grow on and with and in and are inseparable from the tree. These are just the things we see, the things that are attached. There are the detachable parts of the tree too. Birds, animals, insects... They may be able to walk or fly away from the tree, but not really. They could move from tree to tree, but they can't leave all trees forever or they'd die. As much as we want our vines to be clear of fungi and other lives, the truth is we can only keep them at bay. Every vine is covered from head to toe with lives, and one of those lives is mine. This episode is a conversation with three gents who help caretake the oldest winery in the world, Staffelterhof. It has been a winery since the 800s, not the 1800s, the 800s. <laughs> and it seems incredibly fitting that Jan Matthias Klein, 
Kosi van der Merve and Nicholas Haak are thinking and talking about how to build resilience into their systems. They farm organically, have planted peewees, and implement several acres of vitiforestry block. We dig into what's going on in the Mosul that has necessitated and allowed for these changes. We dig into their vitiforestry project and talk about the mindset shift that is required to embrace it. Shade is not shade, as it turns out, <laughs> in the sense that there are many kinds of shade, and not all shade is equal. We look at how some aspects that may be perceived as potential problems of vitiforestry become irrelevant once you take a different perspective. Monoculture has infiltrated the way we think, as it turns out, and diversity grows out of a change in thinking. Staffelterhof seems to be embracing that Albert Einstein quote, we can't solve problems by using the same kind of thinking we used when we created them. I hope this conversation helps inspire you to new ways of thinking. Enjoy. Welcome, guys. Thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate you having this conversation. I know it's uh, it's evening time for you. I hope everybody, all the all the children are in bed now safely and soundly. Mm, almost. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> I, just I mean, I just want to introduce who you know i mean i would like you guys to introduce yourselves but to start off we're, we're we are you you are associated with Staffelterhof, and i hope i'm pronouncing that right um correctly and which is in the mosul uh and it is the oldest winery in the world um and one of the oldest like the sixth oldest still operating companies in the world. So kind of a special place just for that. But as, as I hope we'll find out in this conversation, it's special for a lot of other reasons. But um, could we, could you guys just introduce yourselves and, and what your roles are there? I um my name is Kosi van der and I, um, I work as, uh, as the viticulturist at Staffelterhof. Um, and I, I just met Jan when I was on holiday touring through Germany because um, I have a, a German wife and we wanted to see what the opportunities are in Germany. Um, so we came to the Mosul to see Jan and he showed me this site where he wanted to do some, um, yeah, some something special with um, biodiversity connecting the forest into a vineyard with um, peewees resistant varieties and blah 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 and we started to talk and i just loved what he was doing here and there was also a, um, a good chance for me to also start my own project because in the mosul there's is incredible terroir but the last generation has been very difficult for people to make a living here um, and therefore there are some incredible old vines and beautiful sites available for not much so it's a good um, the barrier of entry for a young person is, is also good here in the Mosul. <clears throat> oh. So, yeah, I started chatting to Jan and after, I think it was like after two weeks or so, he said to me, just, just come on over and we see what we can do together here. So, um, where, where were you coming from? From South Africa. Yeah, I was, South um, Africa. I was working there as, as winemaker in a biodynamic winery and, um, I was yeah working for five years for this company and I um, just wanted to, I'm sure you also <laughs> dove into biodynamics before in your life, but um, <laughs> I think it's a very good base just as organic viticulture, but I just wanted to develop more because this is, yeah. um, you know, the whole idea is very old 
coming up on yeah. well it is 100 years old now this bottom it is a, it's the oldest <clears throat> I mean, it, it predates organic uh, it predates you know obviously regenerative and sustainable and all these things it's kind of one of our most oldest mm. you know sort of styles of agriculture that's been codified into like a you know a a regulated system it's really now did you in south africa did you have exposure to peewees or resistant varieties does, does south africa have its own version of peewees um no that was part of the problem um in south africa is we we don't have a breeding program there for vines um mm. there are a little bit of um the uh organization there is um the, there is some research being done in other Vitis vinifera from Portugal, for instance. Um, there's a lot of varieties that have been brought in from Southern Europe to see if we can um, find something that uh, is more drought resistant that and also has higher acidity when um, you mm. know when when it is growing in in more drier, hotter um, uh, climates. But as far as as PVs are concerned, um, I think we have two in South Africa at the moment and it was brought in um, by independent winemakers um, the past few years so it's it's not something that's really been um, researched into depth uh, in South Africa yet but I, I imagine Africa has its own uh, species of grapes right separate from Vitus vinifera there's probably some other not vitus that I there. Really, not that I really know of. I don't. Um, oh, yeah, I don't either. But I don't I just it's, a... it was brought there by the Europeans um, in the 1700s. Um, oh, okay, I, thought, I, so I mean, I would assume it has some its own native species there, but maybe I don't know. I, I haven't looked into Africa, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a good question. But I've I've never come across any any native species there. I mean, if you if you look at Cape Town and surrounding areas. The um, natural, uh, the, the fauna and flora there is basically um, this feinbos that we call feinbos species. It's mm. very, very rich in the biodiversity, um, but there's there's no real like big forests um, in in the Cape Town area, and therefore I don't think there, you know, vines right. vines kind of need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's where they they felt at home. <laughs> Um, right, right. So I think yeah, that's have... probably why, but um, I, I might be wrong, um, but well, I, I haven't come across any yet. Um, well, so, yeah, something for me to look into, definitely. But one one question before we go to go to Nicholas, but so uh, low barrier of entry for young winemakers in the Mosul is what, what I heard you say. Would how, how hard is it for somebody who's got an American passport to move to Germany? <laughs> Um, well, American is a little bit dif difficult. Have we we found out more more difficult than a Canadian passport? Oh um, man, of course. <laughs> there are there are ways. Um, of right, out. right. Um, are you looking? Are you looking to join us? <laughs> I mean, maybe. Yes, yes. <laughs> Jan, okay. Do you would you like to talk a, a little bit about yourself, Jan? Yeah, my, my name is Jan Matthias Klein. I'm uh, the heir of um, Stachelterhof Winery. Uh, like our family has been there for about 300 years. First as um, uh, stewards for the uh, monastery that used to own the winery for 950 years. 
and then uh, when Napoleon uh, um, took away the winery from the monastery during secularization, uh, my family bought the property of the French government. Ah. And uh, so I'm now, I think, seventh generation since we own the winery. And um, uh, I had, of course, some pressure <laughs> when I had to decide my career path uh, because of all this history uh, in the background. Uh, and uh, my father um, isn't really easy to, to work with uh, either. So, so uh, mm. I, I wasn't really sure in the beginning if that would be what I wanted to do. But I, I, gave, it a, I gave it a go and I, more, I think more or less I grew into the uh, position <laughs> of running this, this winery. Um, and uh, uh, on, on my way, I did some internships in Australia, New Zealand, in France, uh, uh, and uh, which helped me to to understand how special Mosul uh, wines were, because when you're just growing up in the valley, uh, everybody thinks that the the winemaker is the most stupid of the children that takes over the business. Because <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't really uh, much perspective uh, for a lot of uh, wineries. So There's a lot of labor, at least for for uh, not so much reward. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I um, studied, uh, my first place where I studied um, viticulture was an organic farm. They have been farming organic since the 1950s and that probably what what uh, what uh, determined my path going forward so I uh, after I came back from my internships overseas um, I slowly started preparing the, the conversion to organic farming as well ah. so in 2011 we uh, changed all the living huts to organic farming um, yeah. and then we started also using biodynamic practices um, to have uh, healthier wines that needs, need less uh, uh, spraying of copper and sulfur. And, gotcha. Uh, uh, and on, on this part, it was a lucky coincidence that Cozy came, al came along in 2019 visiting a winery and then asking me for a job <laughs> a few months later. And I think um, it's always great when you can work with someone that has the same ideas and principles uh, and, and you can achieve so much more as a team. Yeah. So. 2011 is when you converted to organic and what what uh, this was based on your own experiences it, on the internships that you did and things like that is that that's what i understood is that correct well it's uh it was already i think it was already my first um job in the in the uh, when, I, when i did the, the, the training for viticulture analogy that determined that in 1997 uh the the internships were more uh they were not in organic farms. Um, they, New Zealand was a big company. It was because I started. It was during my studies for economics and uh, marketing. So it, for me, it was great to see how uh, how different how different the approaches in new world countries uh, how to market uh, their wines. Um, so, and in Australia, it was um, it was um, also just to 
to that my last escape from the from the business so i work <laughs> in, in a small uh very small farm and also helped out in the bigger farm on the on the weekends uh <laughs> just to to um to um learn about how to make shiraz for example and uh, some other varieties that we don't don't have in, in germany but it was not uh, on, uh organic farms but uh, for me it was always clear when i get back home that i want to eventually farm everything organic and um, the thing that it took quite a bit like i came back uh, full-time in 2006 to work with my uh, family um, it's because in in the Mosul uh, there's a lot of very small parcels, um, and we have just parcels of 700, 800 square meters. And your neighbors are not organic. It doesn't really work. Uh, right. That you that you farm organic because of the, <laughs> the drift of the sprays and, and all that stuff. So the, the first five years I was swapping land uh, or selling land and buying neighbor, neighboring parcels in order uh, to get bigger parcels uh, that it makes more sense to to go organic. Got it. So you have a, in a sense, more of a buffer around your perimeter, more of a, a yeah. like a, a, a conglomerated hole yeah. that is a, a little more protected. Now, now, for example, with this big uh, forestry project, that was a, a second land reform we had in our uh, community uh, because there's a lot of abandoned vineyards uh, since, in, like in the last 25 years, a lot of wineries stopped farming. They didn't have anyone wanting to continue because there's no uh, money in it and uh, a lot of work. <laughs> right. And, uh, and in order to get um, rid of these... Um, uh, abandoned parcels in between the, the vineyards. They made a land reform that you could actually buy, swap uh, land with everyone in the area. And um, and that way we managed to get this big block of six hectares where we started now with the Midi Forestry project because nobody wanted to farm there anymore. So right. We, uh, so we managed to get, um, it's almost like an amphitheater, like a really cool, uh, cool spot. Um, for, for this uh, project just because of this um, land reform and that everybody thought it was not a such a good site because it's southeast east facing but right. I think for climate change it's perfect uh, there's also forest on top so um, the water supply should be uh, quite good in that uh, in that uh, uh, part of the vineyards and now yeah. we will even put more trees and hedges to connect the the forest with the the vineyards that are just below the forest we, built, we planted some corridors um, to connect the forest with the, the vineyards yeah so i mean and that's uh it, okay i want to dig into so much of this with each of you already but i'm, I'm trying but since you brought up forestry, uh let's get to the third person who hasn't spoken here yet yeah uh <clears throat> my name is nicholas hark and um i am an agroforestry consultant um uh, working for triebwerk um which is um a company i founded with um, a couple of friends of mine um, and I, my background is um, that I studied organic farming at the University of Kassel here in Germany. And um, yeah, I met Cozy and Jan 
I think in May 2011, uh, 2021, mm -hmm. sorry. <laughs> it would have been nice to do that. Um, but no, I was 2021 20, because um, I was actually um, taking part in a community-supported um, uh, winery that was also um, back at that day um, at the Staffel. <coughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's how we kind of got to know each other and slowly got to talking and getting to know each other and, um, you know, just immediately noticed that there's common interests. And um, yeah, that was also for me the first time really going into depth um, with the whole um, topic of uh, viticulture. Um, my background is more in, in uh, with animal husbandry, really. Um, but since then, it's, it's been a really um, joyful ride and a deep dive for me into viticulture. And um, yeah, we have planted quite a few sites now in Germany. Um, um, of course, here with Staffelhof, but also in Rheinhessen and the Nahe Valley, um, for example. And I'm really happy about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you and you. So you essentially, with this new vitiforestry project at Staffeltohof, you consulted on the the design and implementation. Is that? Yes. I'm, I'm, yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, our process is to um, <clears throat> our process is to um, um, find out what are the goals. You know, what are the ideas, and how can we get them into reality that's that's the first discussion that we really have and um as jan already said um a um, big part of that was um actually um fostering uh, biodiversity and bringing life into the vineyard um, that was a very central um part of this um and of course also the sustainable farming practices here so um just as equally important i think the pv variety you know, resistant varieties um play a role here and um, also later on implementing sheep for grazing <coughs> and to also reduce uh, machine um, work in the, in the um, inside. So all of these things were kind of, you know, we bring together and discuss how can we actually do that? How can we, you know, um, bring as much life into the um, vineyard and also have that with the new varieties and the sheep grazing. And fortunately, um, these things really work well together. So, um, you know, it's not like sheep, um, damaged biodiversity if, if, if done well and grazed well they can really um, be really beneficial especially on these steep slopes so um yeah yeah there's, there's uh, good things um, that will come here yeah fantastic so well and this is a question i guess i'll throw back to all of you but with this project okay i mean you were i would guess uh mainly growing riesling is that a good assumption yeah, um, and now it's it used to be more than seventy five percent. Okay. Uh, now we are down to a bit more than sixty percent because we've planted a lot of uh, new hybrids in the last right. uh, four years. And did you plant those hybrids uh, just like in normal vineyard blocks as well as in the vitiforestry project? Yeah, we have uh, we have another big block uh, that has hybrids very close to that vitiforestry project. Okay. And this year we also planted uh, another site. Also, it's like um, probably uh, one and a half acres um, that we planted these peas. Yeah. Okay. And how big is how big are these blocks? Like, how big is the vitiforestry area? The planted, you mean? Huh? <clears throat> yeah, the pl the planted area. The it's about. Uh, yeah, we only planted the two blocks. The one at the bottom is one point four, 
Well, with the top. Yeah, yeah, and the, the one at the top is, but if those two king, I'm so you count that. Probably one and a half. Yeah, so it's 2.8. 2. Yeah. yeah. Hectares? 2.8 hectares of vines, yeah. Within the six hectares of land, yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, but the idea is to plant more tr trees, trees and, and more vines. More vines, also. yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, the, the, done yet this. <coughs> exactly, and the, the corridors are also um, <clears throat> planned, and depending on where they are, I mean, they also take quite a bit of space where they are, of course, not vines. Um, so the corridors that we planned in, some of them are three meters, four meters wide, and then 50, 60 meters long. So, you know, that's oh. also a place that, that goes for biodiversity. And yeah. for production in that sense. Right. Yeah, this is... So is any of this motivated by your biodynamic practice, which which sort of, you know, encourages 10% of the farm, uh, you know, given back to biodiverse cover? Or is it something else? Did you just want biodiversity for your own reasons? I think that's probably a question that each of us can... <laughs> answer with our own perspective <laughs> but, i mean jan what 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 um what motivated you to to do it this way yeah i don't know um for, if it, for me if it's um the biodynamic i think biodiversity is a concept of organic uh, farming in, in general and yeah. uh, for me um it, the most important uh reason we did this was trying to find um ways to make the, the vineyard, the ecosystem more resilient for, for the future. Because uh, when you, you look at the, the climate conference in Dubai, uh, I think uh, there is no uh, slowing down of this uh, climate change. Uh, you mean because in the climate progress. conference, they're basically saying, eh, <laughs> it's being led by exactly. oil producing countries. Hot here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's being led by yeah the oil so, producing and, countries. And, yeah. and, um, so the idea is that we we get more shade with the trees. We get more uh, insects or birds that are predators for some of the uh, new pests that we're dealing with. We have this Suzuki fly, which was a big problem this year, which. Um, lays the eggs into the berries and then they turn into vinegar oh so, and even they were only doing uh, like affecting red grapes so far but this year we found it in sauvignon blanc we found it in riesling so Oof. it mutates quickly because it only lives for a few days so right <laughs> so i think there will be uh, a lot of problems with this in the, in the future and of course also other diseases that's why we were looking to plant uh, the, those new hybrid varieties that have high resistance against the, the, the main uh, fungal diseases that we are challenged with right um, so it's uh, so I think that's that was the main the main reasons for, for me to, to um, think about this viticulture project yeah I mean I, I was sort of Google earthing the the Mosul around where where you guys are and I mean it looks stunningly beautiful but it also looks I mean especially if you just look at your website the stuff out website is uh, I mean just gorgeous the these steep hillsides that are just you know for anybody that farms they look 
like a horror story um <laughs> but also gorgeous if you're just a tourist you know um uh but they also you know are a, a massive monoculture you know it's like probably the largely the same species of grape and the same variety of grape even grown over you know just like i mean places that once were probably pretty diverse forested slopes leading down to the river um and so you're like yeah i mean it seems like there's an amazing opportunity there for what you're doing um i'm curious when the peewees came in, were they part of this as well? Just resilience and, and, and are you, what, what are you guys seeing there in, in the Mosul in terms of impacts from climate other than, I mean, you mentioned the fly um, and pests sort of pressures that you're getting, but anything else that's happening? Well, we, we see um, sunburn uh, like in the, the mm. late 1920. And right. uh, the the peewees, they are supposed to be more resilient there as well because they have thicker skins, so they shouldn't be affected by sunburn so much. Also, um, we had a, a lot of droughts, uh, like especially in the spring time, which was problematic, especially for uh, new plantings. Uh, so since twenty twenty one, we've almost always uh, put irrigation uh, lines. Uh, after we planted, which is an unusual thing to do in the Mosul. So if there's not many irrigation lines at all. Uh, wow. Well, for you in California, that might be there. Of course, you put irrigation lines. but Yeah, yeah. they don't let here, you build a vineyard without irrigation here. Yeah, It's just an issue since uh, 2018, really. Like we had, uh, since 2018, we had six years with very dry uh, wow. first half year. Uh, and um, only 2021 was very wet, like crazy wet. Uh, yeah. But the other years were all too dry uh, in the first half of the vegetation. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I don't. I don't think this is very unique, Adam. But um, the extremities of the seasons are are really um, affecting our our yields. <coughs> Yeah, to, to a really, really big extent. I mean, just like Jan said, now the springs have been very, very dry. Um, but even in twenty one, when we had so much rain that we lost seventy percent of our crop because of constant Peronospora infections, um, even in twenty one, May was bone dry. So we were struggling to keep our young plants alive in May of 2021 and then it started raining and it didn't stop raining <laughs> right. so you you like um i think this is this is the this the strongest driving force for this project is resilience right because you you need to be ready for every single scenario at the moment in farming hmm. um, you yeah. need to be prepared for it and because our plants are standing in the soil where they are you can't move them you have to be prepared, you know, for everything um, in, I think, in this ecosystem um, um, way that we are going about this, where you are building resilience instead of just going in with water and irrigating or going in with a spray tank and spraying, you know, you're yeah. slowly building a system that can support itself. And I think that's 
if you if you want to talk about biodynamics that's from my lectures and from what I've learned, I mean, Nikki can maybe also say, talk a bit about that, but <clears throat> um, biodynamics is all about self-sustaining entities, right? You you want to have a, a unit or a farm or whatever that supports itself in, in um, um, as much as possible with regards to inputs and whatever, you know. Um, we are still farming, but we want to do as minimal intervention as possible. And the only way... <coughs> that we can achieve that is if if our site is resilient yeah yeah and i mean you know i i, I don't know if you think about this young or all of you uh, you know as stewards of of not only this land but of a of a place that is you know going on 1200 years old um you'd hate to be the people i guess to to oversee its downfall right like after having survived for this long like um does does that play a fact i'm kind of joking but i imagine that actually is a real uh, a real concern like or a real consideration of like you know this this place should be at the forefront of resilience at the forefront of of looking to the future and how to survive for the next thousand years is that does that play a factor at all yeah, I guess that's what what um, um, this long tradition uh, means. That there have been always people that were thinking ahead of their time, uh, and uh, and and that's what we are doing now. We, we are the first to to do this kind of project on that scale, and uh, we we want to <coughs> of course we want to encourage other people to to follow. Uh, if if it works out as we think it should, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> still, still there if we survive. If we survive yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The next few years. So um, yeah, I, I think um, uh, the, my father and also my grandfather they were both um, um, innovative uh, characters for their for their time and their for their generation. My grandfather he actually. Um, that was the youngest of 13 children. He was never supposed to be um, taking over the, the winery business. Uh, but he um, became prisoner of war in the fight in Erevanain in Egypt in, in 41, I think. And he was taken as a prisoner of war to Canada. And, uh, and he had uh, his family sent him books about viticulture and oenology to his camp so he was actually studying from abroad right so he also was what was the, the newest books that he got so it was uh, so he just learned uh, not from the old people telling him stuff so he learned from from those new new books and when he came back and married my grandmother and they started with like two and a half thousand square meters Again, because in, in, they had to sh share the whole vineyards between all the children. That's the Napoleonic inheritance law. Mm. Um, so they started with almost uh, nothing. But he was uh, the first who put trellises, trellising in the vineyards, in the Mosul, like in the, in the flatter uh, vineyards. Wow. Um, people thought that was not possible because uh, until then it was only single pole training, for example. Huh. Uh, so there was always um, innovative people, I think, in our, our family. That, and that's why the, the winery kept going uh, for so long. 
I mean, there's so much history that we could get into. I, I'm I'm curious if you could mention why it has been difficult, like why people have stopped farming. What what economic forces have have made it uh, unsustainable to continue to grow grapes there? Yeah, so it started in 1998, more or less. Um, 1998 was a good vintage, but it was quite a big vintage with a lot of uh, wine um, flooding the market. Uh-huh. And that uh, meant that uh, the, uh, the bulk wine prices were down. Also the uh, co-op, there's only one huge co-op in the Mosul where a lot of uh, farmers were just driving their grapes too. So uh-huh. they um, also paid less uh for for the for the for the town of grapes um and the same happened again in 99 that was another huge uh, harvest so uh then the i think the bulk wine price was at uh uh in 85 uh, fennec <laughs> which is now wow. 40, 45 euro cent a liter wow so it was a disastrous for, when you when you think about that they work in steep slopes where you have yeah. um, six hundred and a thousand hours per hectare <laughs> to work that the farm. Wow. Yeah, the, the the vineyard. And uh and that's when a lot of people already uh, stopped um and uh, and uh, said no this is not sustainable anymore. Then um and of course the children the they told their children as well, or well, the children already knew because I didn't want to work so hard for almost no money. Right. And, and then I think it was in, especially the first 10 years um, after, uh, after 98, where most of the vineyards got abandoned. So there was uh, bigger wineries were taking on some interesting sites. So the, big, the, 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 the middle to bigger wineries were growing then. So now and it's it. been for, for quite a few almost five to seven years it's uh, balancing out at eight and a half thousand hectares and we were at twelve and a half thousand in 98 right in the whole of the Mosul yeah right wow got it okay I mean and I imagine some of those big bumper years were were sort of at the beginning of some of the climate change that we've been seeing too just warmer weather better weather in the Mosul Mm -hmm. than had historically been there that created these bumper crops. Is that probably true? Yeah, was it necessarily. Um, necessarily. There was huge harvest also in the, in the early 80s. Okay. Um, because there was a lot of fertilizer <laughs> being used. And, ah. And, and also they um, there wasn't, I think only in the mid-80s, they put the uh, uh, a maximum allowance number uh, that you were only allowed to have 15 tons per hectare. Which is already quite still quite a lot, <laughs> right? Yeah. <coughs> um, Got it. So, in order to survive uh, for from a lot of wineries, it, it is necessary that they're producing at the the high, highest end of the allowed uh, um, um, amount of grapes. Otherwise, it doesn't work for them. That's also right. the problem because there was so much um, fertilizer being used in the Mosul. That the the Mosul turned uh, green <laughs> sometimes. Wow! Uh, and wow. only with the new laws of uh, subsidies, and they um, they have a, a really strict limit on the amount of uh, nitrates you're allowed to put in your vineyards. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, those times in the in the eighties, especially, it was all crazy times. 
<laughs> right. So are you certified both organic and biodynamic there at Staff Elterhof? No, we only certify organic. Okay. Um, but you do do some biodynamic preps, it sounds like, or biodynamic practices. Yeah, but we, we are... Uh, sometimes we don't manage to get the the, the five hundred out in time. Gotcha. Yeah, um, the compost, the compost um, preps we we always use, um, Adam. And if we do make um, irrigate the young vines, we always add um, some five hundred into the into the mix into the compost got it. mix. Got it. Got so it. It's, but it's not <clears throat> it's not the classic um, sprinkling in winter and um, spraying a five hundred one horn manure. Right, right. Yeah. But right. I I mean but that's still like I I I appreciate your you know what you're doing. You're doing what you can. I mean, I think there's some so I I'm sort of like that as well. Like I sort of like I don't know if I want to go full bore, but I would love to incorporate it when I can and you know when there's time and I mean it's sort of yeah, like uh, sort of the icing on the cake some years when you can. Yeah, I think we do can, everything. Um, have a whole different podcast on biodynamics if you if you want to get into that <laughs> <laughs> right well let's skip that for now because i just did one but it is uh <laughs> um but i would love to dig into your vitiforestry project and so you just had this fun weekend where you invited people actually out to participate in installing this project installing this this block of of vines and trees and hedgerows and I think there's something really cool about that. Like I, I really wanted to come do that, but I, I think just the idea of involving the community in this project feels like there's something really important to that. Was that, did that go into your thinking in terms of having that, or were you just looking for free labor? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think it was part of um, what we do anyways with the culture shine. Yeah. Jan, I know if maybe you want to talk about that a bit. Yeah, so it's um, you have a, um, uh, um, a cultural association. Um, uh-huh. and we um, do more than uh, a dozen different events every year with live music, with uh, lectures, historic lectures, and uh, also uh, with um, sometimes with um, cabaret or, or um, stand-up comedy um, stuff. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and it came from that association uh, that is also supporting this uh, project uh, or financing it uh, as well, uh, partly. That we said, well, we need to bring uh, more people in this project. They can that they can talk about it, and and uh, and we made a uh, I think we made a good deal for everybody. They they uh, they uh, got. Um, to, to stay at our um, guest house and, um, and we made really nice food and uh, uh, for them and it was a, a, a very fun weekend everybody was really happy I think and afterwards dirty. <laughs> <laughs> happy and dirty full of mud <laughs> and uh, I think so, uh, was it a wet weekend it was yeah before it was wet we were uh, very lucky yes yeah. we had, uh, okay. we had um, two dry-ish days it was pretty dry and that week leading up to it it was also pretty dry and literally the next day it started snowing <laughs> it was like we were done planting it started snowing it that's insane. amazing so this cultural <coughs> association it's it's something that is just part of the winery it's not like a, a i mean it's something that you guys do 
your cell's not part of, it's not like a, an association that's larger, like, you know, that's part from the government or anything like that. No, it's a small um, association we founded in 2017. So it's not, it's a, it's his own business, but it's, um, it's, uh, it's, um, how you, okay, it's for, um, it's non-profit. Uh -huh. So if we get, but through, so through this, we can also receive donations and write donation receipts to people. Got it. So we can use that also for fundraising to, to when we want to continue with this project, if we need uh, money, we can uh, use this association uh, for that as well. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm looking at it on your website. I mean, so there's more for people to dig into there if they want to see that or or even get involved in some of the events that you guys do. But I, I, I just think that's, I think that element to any business, that element to a winery, especially like having um, that community culture, I mean, a culture, more than just a community, but a cultural gathering and sense of, you know, of, of a I don't know. I, th I think that's really smart. Um, I mean, I think it's really more than smart. I think it's really beautiful and also integral to the idea of agriculture and, and connecting people into where their food and wine and everything comes from. So I think that's, I really enjoy that. But what, so what was, what, what was done that weekend? Like, what did you plant and what's, what's the projection for that? <coughs> Yeah, um, maybe I can uh, um, answer that question. Um, <clears throat> so um, maybe I'll, I'll touch on to the question before, um, beforehand. We actually do a lot of this um, 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 when we do plantings of our customers um, that we, we try to get people involved. I mean, if the farm wants that, of course. Um, but for, for us, it's really an integral part to also, you know, get the community around it uh, involved and, um, you know, also, um, you know, Bring education around this. Um, so um, and and of course, planting itself is quite a lot of work. But also, you know, organizing everything beforehand is a lot of work too. So I don't. Maybe we will probably save quite a bit of time working on that side. But it's not it's not like that, that cheap of a deal. And right, right. <laughs> Obviously, providing housing and food and yeah, exactly. everything else, all the planning and yeah, coordination. Sure. And and the other thing is um, that you can't forget is um, European agriculture is heavily subsidized. Um, every stable built, every um, solar panel on the rooftop of a stable is so, um, subsidized. Every um, every corn of grain is subsidized. Every vineyard is subsidized, but not forestry or agroforestry per se in Germany. Uh. So um, we are actually structurally, you know, um, 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 yeah, so basically, um, um, yeah, yeah, not, you're not getting any, any any money for that, even though we're, um, we're providing quite a lot of, you know, um, the things that um, you get, <coughs> you should be getting money for, or other things are getting money for. So the ecological value of the trees, for example, is something that um, the EU gives money for. But um, um, yeah, we don't need to go into depth um, here, but to make it short, um, the German um, states don't um, basically use the money that the EU provides to um, actually support um, agroforestry and all bit of forestry. So um, they do not, mind, you know, um, yeah, everything, yeah. every plant that, you know, has been planted, it's, it's all basically out of the own um, 
money or, or, or Jan's purse or, or, or the company's purse. So um, it's a bit different than, than other projects would be. Yeah, I mean, and I think, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just speak from our context. I know we have similar struggles here, and I think part of that mm -hmm. has to do with the newness of things. Um, yeah. I mean, we have a lot of subsidies for a lot of bad agriculture, I think, in the U.S., but no, you know, very few subsidies for yes. really good agriculture, very good <laughs> well, ecological agriculture. Well, it has to be said that uh, a lot of the plants that we did get for this project was from um, an uh, initiative from our local government called yeah. the More Green Through the Land Reform, basically. Oh, great. Okay, uh, which, is, which is actually incredible because there's there's a lot of old school and backwards things that we always complain about, but this this was really incredible that we could. <coughs> um, and also, we talking to Nikki. I mean, there's there's a list of of things that we could get, and it was actually quite quite a good list. Of course, a, a geek like Nikki would complain about <laughs> the diversity of the plants that was in there, but. Um, you know, we could build these proper hedges um, yeah. with, with proper biodiversity and with these plants that we could um, get from the land reform. So that was incredible. Yeah. Can you talk about the specifics of what you did plant and, and how you planted it, like spacing and, you know, any, any, all the details like that? I'd love to know sort of what it, what it looks like. Mm -hmm. So first, I think we have to realize the, um, what the site looks like. So, um, imagine having a site, a south facing steep slope. I don't know how many kilometers would that be? Well, it's, it's 40 at the bottom, 50. Yeah, 40, 40 to 50 degrees um, slope, proper slate soil there. Um, and then on the top, we have this forest that was mentioned before. And then every 50 to 60 <coughs> meters, you have a, a road dividing um, this piece of land, which is about 300 meters long. Um, and um, what we did is plant about 300 meters in total of um, hedges um, at th yep. uh, three different um, parts of the, the plot. And they go from the top where the um, forest goes um, right down to the lowest part of the vineyard. So they're uh, they're they run with the with the slope as again as exactly. opposed to like a, on the contour. They're not they're not on contour because right. also the vines are going um, against the contour <coughs> or with the with the slope. Right. The, the way you farm here. Um, can I ask? Can I? I, sure. I I'm sorry. I'm just going to dig into that because this is a mm -hmm. question I have. Is that due to the fact that you generally have enough rain and there's no reason to? plant on you know like a sort of key line planting mm. um well to be honest um in that steepness to to you have to have to terrace the whole site which i think is uh you know it's also again a lot of cost enormous uh, expense yeah I mean, there's quite close involved there's this terraced site which i'm not sure too many people are ha too happy about like the effect of it so i'm i'm not sure if the slate soil is actually really <laughs> Really structurally structuring yeah. enough yeah exactly and it actually drains quite well um the, the slate soil does got so, it okay um, i think it's i think it's something to really look at and, and other soils maybe um and we do actually for other farmers we do this kind of key line style planning um, and also water retention is a major topic um that we want to, to that we think about but um here in the way this set up is set up and also the vineyards that are there you would have to pull them all out and i think that's just you know we, we have to keep it realistic in the sense of sure yeah keeping it realistic but um yeah so the hedges go in 
they they, uh, they follow the the slope um uh -huh. and so then three big hedges got it um which are some of the species that we've used um um all native um um species that are common in the area and this is um, in the hedgerows in the hedgerows but also the trees that we have planted um in the vineyard so there are um, basically on the top um, of each of the parcels so um, if you remember there's a few um roads going along these um so these roads are um on contour yeah um and they <clears throat> divide the whole site and um and on the top where the road is um we planted the first line of trees quite close and those are um old apple uh, cider apple varieties um perries uh, peri varieties um, so, and also there's um, sweet chestnuts for example mm. um yeah um so we have some on, on the higher part we have fruit bearing trees so and, and that's mainly for practicality reasons so we can actually harvest them later on yeah <laughs> and um and then there's another line and about a third or two thirds down in the vineyard and it's actually in properly in the vineyards and the idea was to have shade <coughs> falling into the middle of the vineyard really um ah, okay so, um, yeah and the distance is 14 meters apart um in the line so every seventh line you put the tree now um, okay the distances between the the, the vine, vine rows is two meters um and that's also for practicality reasons that um you know you can if there's a machine that um that, that works on two um rows at the same time you can still do that and only have one row where you might not be able to use that machine because the tree is integrated into the um, 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 road, the vines, mm -hmm. um, which is also, we can do that differently, um, but we decided to put them here into the uh, wine rows. Got it. Um, yeah. And, um, so there, if I can clarify, there were existing vines already, or did you also plant vines? Like, was it a blank slate and you implemented all of this stuff or was there anything already there? No, we, um, some vines we already planted and we actually decided to take out some, some rows to make more space for biodiversity, which is something that I think my, um, conventional viticulture professor, professor would have fallen on his back when he sees something like that. But, um, right. we, yeah, so we, we actually converted some of the vineyard to be able to, um, incorporate this biodiversity but then there's also a large part of the site that's not planted yet um that we then add free reign from jan to to be as creative as as we wanted to be <laughs> <laughs> well and so you mentioned i think if if i heard you correctly apples and pears mm -hmm. um what other species of trees did you use and and was is the intention to get a, a secondary crop from all of them Chestnuts, you mentioned as well. Yeah, yeah. chestnuts. Yeah, it's it's nice to have a, a, a crop, and it's also a, going to be a community thing again. I think we will. Um, the idea is that we um, use the community then also to harvest the um, the extra fruit, uh, and and people that have been helping uh, or that always help, they can take uh, some of that fruit uh, at home, so that it is from their tree. Um, so, so um, that's the idea that it's also going to be a, a community uh, a project again to 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 use the 
the fruits from the extra fruits from the the trees and maybe even some of the hedges uh, uh, for that kind of stuff from uh, apples and pears we could also make a cider we made uh, an apple uh, pear cider in, in, the, in the past so um, that could also be something that we could give away to the, the community for helping us to maintain this project and you are maintaining a flock of sheep that help with um, everything you do in the vineyard, I imagine. But how do you, how do you maintain them, and and how will they incorporate into this bit of forestry thing? I, I'm imagining in the same way. But I, I guess my other question was: Were you thinking of incorporating anything else, like pigs, who might eat apples and chestnuts and pears as well? So it's it would be lovely, but it's a bit difficult in Germany, huh? Eh? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. There's a African swine flu is, is around, and it's basically to make it short, it's very uh, almost impossible to keep pigs outside nowadays. So, um, oh wow, really? So that's, so where, every... that's where the look, just listen to this, right? I mean, that's where the 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 disease comes from, right? Inside. Right. And right. now we don't allowed to have them outside anymore. <laughs> it's wow. Like, oh yeah, wow. so it's a bit difficult here in this country. <coughs> the German, Germany is a large um, 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 producer of um, pig meat. And yeah, it's very industrialized. And uh, that's why they have a strong lobby. And they're very afraid of that. Because if one of the animals has it in the stable, you have to kill all of them. Which is horrible in itself. But um yeah, it's it's a very highly infectious disease, and um, that's why um, they try to eliminate as much as possible. They were also killing or culling a lot of wild boars um, when it first appeared. So, you know, they're going, wow. going full Monty on this. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, Adam, to to answer your question about the animals, is we we've done some trials with um, with Oson Oson sheep, um, so a smaller breed. Uh -huh. Sheep, Jana has a different one also in mind. What was that? Shropshire. Shropshire, yeah. Shropshire. Um, so we've, we've done our research on them. Um, we actually don't have our herd yet because we want to get um, the vineyard and the, the, the site ready for them before we, we, we get them. Got it. Um, and what I mean by getting it ready <clears throat> is we a, a part of this vineyard is already on a high cordon, uh -huh. which... Um, I think we we've been pretty happy with um, how how it's performed because we this year we had a good crop out of it. I think if it wasn't for the insects, um, then it would have been pretty stunning muscaris and also quite a good crop. Um, and it's also nice how we are doing it is it's basically on a high cordon and then there's two wires just a little bit higher from the cordon. So the, the vine shoots are basically growing over these two wires, if you can follow me now. Yeah, yeah um, like a V. And it's just supporting them in the beginning of the season when it's still quite brittle. And then um, when the, the shoots lignify, then um, they just hang over. And um, the idea is then that the sheep will tip them for us then um, when they start lying on the ground. So the um, the shoot uh, the bunches will always be in shade as well because of the system, uh -huh. which is also something that's pretty cool. And then of course you also have this space at the bottom where you can um, eventually think about planting some vegetables because we are not necessarily having to drive through every 
um, for every row in in PVs because we spray them um, maybe two or three times. And you don't have to go through every row um, because it's a drift spray if you, if you spray them. So there's potential there. Um, nice. And we are also then looking at converting the rest of this block that was planted on the normal VSP system um, this right. year to also to the high cordon. Um, so we just want to make sure that we are ready for the sheep, I think, um, before we get them, because I also grew up on a farm where we had a lot of animals and I think we all have experience with animals and you have to be ready with for them. Otherwise, they cost you a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By eating your vines or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that and also if you are not ready for to have, if you didn't think it through where the food is going to come from, Right, um, right. And you have to feed them from somewhere else, right? So it's right. Um, it's something you that you to, really, really have to think you about. Need to build a lot of fences. <laughs> fences right. as well. You don't want to be spending your weekends chasing sheep around the village, um, <laughs> you know. So it's it's something that's that, that we've taken our time with, and also. Yeah. You know, could be something for the tourists. <laughs> Chase the sheep back into the vineyard. Yeah. Um, I don't, one, one thing that we didn't mention yet was this: um, we, of course, we are not done with this site, right? So there's there's a lot of things right. that, that still needs to be done. Um, what we right. what we all are also very very excited about is this idea of having a, a multi fruit site. Where um, so so we have a at the top of this um, um, site we have the, a flat bit um, that then connects to the to the forest. Um, this is where we have our compost site, and this is also where we will probably have the sheep then to overwinter. Um, and in this flat bit, we have space for <clears throat> I would say about hundred sets maybe a thousand square meters of um, land that we want to incorporate a mixed fruit site. Um, mm. what, what makes it so exciting for us is this idea that you, you plant different vines in there, you plant different cider fruits, whatever, um, stone fruits, um, something that you can make a, a product out of. If that's now a pet nut or a dry product or whatever that the season will decide. Mm -hmm. um, but to then have a site that has different fruits that have different sensitivities to different um, uh, fungal diseases, to different weather conditions, to whatever, you know, so, so the one year we will have more cider apples than pears or one year the, the vines will shine or, you know, to, to actually have an, an example of this mixed fruit garden where we can say, hey, when, when I was speaking to, to Nikki about this the other day, I said to him, just imagine that you can, you can have five different vintages of this mixed fruit site next to each other and, and look at this um, from, a, from a perspective where you say, okay, and, and this year the apples were, you know, doing very well and that's taking the lead. Um, but then you might get to a point where you actually have the same amount of crop every year, but just enough. One fruit will take the lead this year and the other fruit will take the, the lead the next year just because of the diversity of climate. Yeah. Um, so that's something that we are very, very excited about to, to get going um, because of, you know, this idea of 
being more resilient, not not just in the vineyard, but also from a business perspective, right? Like, yeah, that you have a product every year. Um, right, right. I, yeah, it seems like diversity is kind of the only ecological solution to the extremity that is coming um, and that is already starting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can I ask, what are the peewees that you guys are working with and planting? So we um, have muscaris, which is um, muscaris, like okay, a, a musket type mm -hmm. uh, of grape. And then we have uh, Sauvignon Gris, which is yeah similar to Pinot Gris, but with more acidity and uh, a lot bigger bunches. So there's no problems with botrytis. Uh huh. That's what that's probably what, probably the one that's doing the best so far. Of the mm, I've heard good things about it. Yeah, and then we have uh, Sauvignac and uh, uh -huh. and um, Sauvitage. So they are both um, from the from the uh, aroma perspective is between Riesling and Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. And um, then there is uh, Donau Riesling, which is the one that is closest to Riesling, but the the resistance is not so great as in the other ones. Right, right. I we I, we needed to have some though, so to just see <laughs> yeah. how it goes. Do you? Then, then we also planted uh, another white one, uh, quite a new one called Caladis Blanc, uh, because mm. um, it has a resistance also against black rot. Black rot is a, a new disease that we are dealing with in the last twenty years only. Oh boy! Uh, and that means all the all the hybrids that are on the market now they uh, had, uh, were not bred thinking black about rot. Black, black rot. So the Colorado right. sponsor just by accident it has a marker against black rot. Uh. Uh, and we have, we found in some of our um, PVs that they are um, quite uh, struggling quite a lot with with the black rot, like the Sauvitage, for example. Uh, it was uh, in 21, it was uh, half of it was wiped out, I would say. Right. So right. We, uh, we, we liked that grape uh, from the from the aroma perspective, but then we said, now we cannot uh, plant more of that because it's too dangerous. Mm. Uh, the, the problem then is, Jan, that you, you have to spray them, you spray, right? Yeah, and you have to spray yeah. uh, regularly. Uh, regularly. Yeah. Then, yeah. It's, then it's, it basically becomes a vitisvenifera yeah. again, yeah. if you... Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <coughs> now, uh, and maybe this is a question for Nikki again, but yeah. I, I mean, for all of you, really, I, I know that you're just at the beginning. This was, you know, in November, stage one of this project, this bit of forestry project. And, you know, as you said, there's a lot, there's a lot to learn. There's a lot of unknowns and a lot of, you know, hopes and dreams <laughs> tied up in these in this project and just bit of forestry in general. Um, but Nikki, I wonder if you could, we were talking about some of the things that we do know and, and what, what we know are benefits of working with trees and vines and, and incorporating trees into vineyard situations. And if, if you could talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, th as you said, there's, there's a lot of things that we don't know, but um, interestingly enough, there's um, a few sites that have been, planted with trees, uh, or vineyard sites planted with trees um, that have really shown the benefits of it. And um, for me, there's there's a um, one 
very logical thing um, how to, to explain how this works because apparently shade doesn't affect the, the, the vine um, in, in the, the, the form that we think of. And I actually read in an old um, Austrian um, a book on, on viticulture that the vine only needs about 10% <coughs> of its leaf to be um, shine um, with direct sunlight um, um, to be actually fully active. So it's basically like a solar panel that only needs 10% of it to be have, have, to have direct sunlight to be working fully. And that is an explanation for that for me, but I do not did, couldn't find the source um, where that comes from. It's, it's, it was said as a fact there, but I, I couldn't find any source that was saying, yes, that's true or where, where you know, the mm. science behind it. But anyway, um, so this seems to be a thing that's been known. And if we think about where vines actually come from, um, they are, of course, um, a plant that uh, needs trees to, or will, or will always look for trees um, or something to climb on. Um, right. Actually, one of Cozy's sites um, was quite fascinating. We, we pulled out a, an old vine that was like climbing 20 meters or crawling um, about on the floor for 20 right. meters until it found this birch tree. Um, which it then actually went up into. Um, so, you know, there's this, this very old connection, I think, between trees and vines that we don't fully understand, but I think there's um, a lot to be said for that. Um, beforehand, we were talking about mycorrhizal connections, but also um, um, I believe there's, um, um, you know, there's benef other benefits that, uh, um, that have been shown in the site at the um, Zaar Valley, which is not too far from here. Um, where there's a um, there's been this plot planted about 2010, I think it was, and they were actually um, looking at the exchange of water and nutrients um, between trees and uh, the vines, and they through marker systems. Um, um, I don't want to go too deep into that. Um, they could see that, for example, carbon was exchanged, but also nitrogen and um, and water was exchanged, and um, in two consecutive years, they could also see that, um, the, that both varieties, Riesling and um, Sauvignon Blanc, were benefiting um, through more water um, in the vines. Um, and also, um, for example, in 2018, they didn't have um, any sun um, burn, which most white grape varieties in the Zaar Valley had. Um, so these were things that the um, vintners were telling us. So, well, you know, there's a few things that we can already see that's in, you know that are happening, and especially with white varieties, the sunburn is a major issue. Um, yeah. yeah. And yeah. this was the site that we went um, to together, and beforehand, even me, I had quite a lot of um, you know doubts. If you know, I, I was thinking, you know, in Germany, grapes only grow where there's a lot of sun, where there's a lot of warmth, and I was thinking, oof, do we really want to go that? You know, is that really a smart thing to bring shade into the into the vineyard? And I think we need to talk um, about shade is not shade. <laughs> you know, uh, there's different shades and um, <laughs> right um, uh, uh, different forms of shadow, um, and um, it really comes down to the management also of the tree. So right, how else <coughs> do we plant the tree? Which species do we do, do we um, uh, plant? Um, you know, um, a different tree canopy, leaf canopy will make different shade again. There's different light also penetrating yes. the leaves, for example. Um, you know, the, the, the color of the leaves makes a difference of how much um, light is actually still going through 
that. So there's, I think there's a lot of research to be done to see what kind of light spectrum does the vine actually really need, um, you know, and, and all that. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, can it's... see from those sites that these um, um, that the vines perform really well, um, and there's also another one in um, the, the Domaine de Restinclière, um, which is close to Montpellier, which is very different. It's uh, south of France, uh, you know, um, but they can just show there that the vines perform better, and um, this aspect of resiliency has really shown there that they um, um, just. <coughs> never have the top yields, but, but um, you know, compared to a good year with um, the, nor the, the normal vines, the vines without um, the trees. But um, what it shows is that is that the average, um, the, the volatility is not that high. Okay, so right. you don't have these years where you, especially economically, really crash. And um, <clears throat> um, so, and the medium level is on average higher than than the because of the high volatility. There, through the effects of climate change, um, you know, you might have a good year, then the yields are great, but the next year might be a bad year, and they are really, really, really low. And um, this is, of course, economically really hard for a comp uh, company to sustain. But if you have the more, you know, the volatility just not that high, um, you will be um, set up better. And I think that's the the key message. Um, I think we need to think that to cut the effects of climate change. Um, we will not have these years anymore. Uh, the, the the good year will be not will be the the um, the odd one out really. You know, um, it's right. the, the, the new norm, and we have to think that bad years will be the new norm. Something will be weird. You know, we will have something like twenty twenty one coming up again here with the drought in May, and then absolute torrential rain for the for the rest of the year. Um, you know, which um was the reason for this major loss of, um, um, of the crop and uh, this is going to be the new norm and I think we need to shift our perspective on that and um, and I think with that um, agroforestry gives us a lot of chances to react to these different pathogens but also climate effects I mean these trees will also um, protect the, the vines for example of hail hail is not an issue here but mm. it hasn't been an issue um, in a lot of areas of Germany where it's now pretty frequent you know, so um, yeah. also things to consider um, next to sun damage, for example. <coughs> so I don't want to be the devil, you know, <laughs> talk about this too negatively, but I think um, it's, this is a smart move to do, um, or at least something to try out and to see, even though we have not not all the answers, um, there's still, you know, we have time, so the trees aren't, we don't plant them and then they're fully grown. Um, that's that's a shame, really. <laughs> I'm, I'm far too impatient for my job, I'm afraid. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah um, me too. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the thing is that, um, you know, we always have time to um, match, to train the trees differently. And I think that's something that we really need to focus on now is to get the tree, um, the, where the tree crown starts, for example, high enough that we still can have the machine um, going underneath it, for example. Um, <coughs> that the trees aren't in the in a way in any kind of sense um, and actually bring their benefits and not be of a nuisance and um, I think that's what we all think of um, a lot about and this is where it's so vital and, um, um, and incredibly important to work together on this because I mean I know how to train the trees and have my ideas of how we can implement them and then I 
talk to Kosi and Kosi says, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. <laughs> uh, we should do it this way. Or can, and then we come up with something new together, um, which is also an exciting process. Um, nice. And for... Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Kosi. Um, no, Adam, I just wanted to, to add, um, from just from a, like a farming perspective, I, I've really enjoyed um, this vitiforestry perspective because it makes you think completely differently. Mm. <clears throat> um, and that's that is in my mind what it's going to to take for us to to change um, these monoculture systems because <clears throat> it, it was just fascinating to me when we um, Nikki also had a um, a seminar on this weekend where he was talking to um, Jan invited a few of his colleagues in the in the town um, and there was a few conventional winemakers there and one of the questions were um, how, if you plant trees, then you have shade and you have different climates within this microclimates. Well, microclimates, actually, to be honest, um, within this small site. Right. Um, and then you will have <coughs> um, unequal budding, basic, uh, for instance, right? And mm. um, how, the question was, how can we... Um, can we minimize that? Because for management, that would be a disaster if we don't have equal budding and equal flowering and equal whatever. Right. And on that evening, I I took this question. I I sat with it for for a, for a few days, and I I think that that question just stems from monoculture itself. Because right, you know, if if we if we if we um, plant a, a single variety we we make the soil exactly the same everywhere um we want to prune it the same we want to harvest them on the same date we want to filter that wine to shit we want to you know it, everything needs to follow this idea then from from the beginning to the end until we <coughs> put it sterile and sulfur into the into the bottle um whereas you know if you if you start your Sounds base delicious. if you start your exactly <laughs> if you if your base is resilience and ecosystem right then the rest of it you know the, the the flow of thinking for the rest of it completely changes and i am very excited about that because you for me i i don't want my vineyard to bud at the same time because if you have late frost then you at least have some you know right. of the the same vineyard that is not um dead right um <laughs> if your vineyard is not flowering at the same time and you have a perinospora, <coughs> you have a perinospora outbreak then uh -huh. some of it is going to survive more or you know not be as hit as bad with the outbreak um yep so you know <laughs> and i mean it, I, yeah, I mean, sorry, can we sorry. give, no, no, I mean, let me, I, 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 I was, if you weren't going to say that, I was going to say that, but I, <laughs> I also want to like, let, let me play devil's advocate and say like, what are, like, what is the downside? What is the cost to this uh, diversity in ripening and diversity? I mean, does, are there labor costs? Are there, you know, does that mean we've got to harvest over a month instead of over a week? Um, does it mean there's more, labor you know throughout the season as well as we're you know waiting for some of the vines to catch up i mean what what is the real downside to 
these variations within a, a same like one block i guess i have my views young but i mm. mean you 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 grow up harvesting different times anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So we, yeah, that's not a problem. You could go twice or three times to the vineyard if need be, but uh, actually, I think it could even be beneficial to have grapes that are have different stages of ripeness to get a broader flavor portfolio uh, in the in the uh, final wine, as long as it's uh, ripe enough. I would say. <laughs> right, right. You get complexity in a complexity, sense. Then you, then you get yeah. get much more exciting uh, uh, wines, I think, as well. If you have different uh, flavors due to uh, uneven ripeness. So you can't. I mean, what I, I get. I mean, I ask this partly because I really like. If there is a downside, I want to know it. You know, like as I, you know, maybe there's a way to address it, but. I personally can't think of one. I mean, it, like you said, it seems like this idea of like it has to happen all at the same time and in the same way with uniformity. Like I, it that's just sounds like it's habit rather than actual need or you know actual benefit in any logistical sense. Am I? I mean, am I wrong? Like I, I think I, it, if you make a wine for a specific market, right? Like. <coughs> Ah, um, so you can have. I think it it it, it mm. makes a difference then. If you if you need something to taste like it is in a box, right? Then you need if you to want it to be it the like exact that, same right? thing all the time, yeah, right? Exactly. But I think Jan Jan's business has been also filter of since Jan took over, he brought in a lot of natural wines, and um, the natural wine market has been very supportive of his ideas. And I, I think just how it's set up um, these kind of kind of wines that have a bit more soul and you know doesn't yeah. always taste exactly the same every year um can easily fit into this into this um, market and, and couldn't you achieve consistency like if you really did care about consistency or if the market was really you know driven specifically for your wines by consistency could could you achieve that in other ways by blending by having you know non-vintage wines where you're you're holding over wine from a previous vintage to blend it with the next vintage i mean similar like this is where the whole tradition of champagne came from to have consistency from bad years to good years right like i anyway i i just throw that out there that it seems like there are any number of ways to deal with the potentials a variation that might come from a vitiforestry system, even if you wanted consistency and didn't like the idea of the fact that there's a vintage and a place, you know, there's a vintage on a bottle for a reason, right? <laughs> like, like yeah. um, it's meant to be a reflection of variation. But um, yes. I mean, to me, the soul of wine is that, yeah, like where, you, you know, we, we put a date on it for a reason. It's not just like an arbitrary thing. Like it's... it's we are implicit in wine is the expectation of variation and, and, and the embrace of that um, because we're, we're reflecting nature. We're reflecting a, a time and a moment in the universe. Um, anyway, I, this is my little soapbox, but <laughs> tell me if I've, if I've got that wrong, if I'm missing something. No, for sure, man. I mean, that's, we, when we get all these questions, because I've, I've been talking, we've known Nikki for a while now, and we always like go see other winemakers and we try and 
you know, spread the word a bit about this and to, to also to, to learn from our colleagues, right? Like we, we get some interesting questions like we did on the seminar that, that sparked this like idea of mine, like where monoculture actually starts and where it ends. Right. <laughs> um, and one thing that always comes up is like, you guys don't have all the answers, but we don't. But what we do know is that the monoculture that we have now is not working. <laughs> right. <laughs> we, we do have that. one answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so, you know, that the whole, if you have a um, argument with someone about that, the, the standpoint is, is already um, faulty. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 That's well observed. Well, guys, I, I, what, what, are, what, what would you like to, talk about what you guys are doing i mean what's what have i missed asking you what's this is you know there's so many things about this winery that we could dig into in in depth and i mean i I don't want to miss anything that's important to you to say about what you're doing and what's and what's important for you guys as you're going forward well (laughs) nothing we covered it all Maybe, maybe well, coming back. How many hours do you have? <laughs> <laughs> maybe coming back to your question about consistency in, in the wine from uh, from vintage to to, to vintage. Yeah, um, I think that it is a nice part to be in the organic biodynamic game and also in the natural wine game. That people expect wines to taste different uh, from year to year. Yeah, um, and that they don't expect the, the wine to taste the same every year. And uh, for our natural wines, we actually even don't put a vintage on the label at, at all. Ah, um, and and it means also that there can be blends. Uh, some other uh, can be a blend of vintages. For example, right. for the for the Riesling, I uh, like to to blend uh, the twenty one was quite high acidity. Uh, vintage, so I blended it with some 2020. Um, same was in 2018. We had very low acid, uh, and I blended it with some uh, fresh crisp 2019. Um, mm. So, uh, but it's, it's the blending is more for the benefit of the product that it, that, that taste. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the I, best. I love that. It's not for for getting consistency. Really, it's just for making the wine better. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, and there's nothing, I, I don't mean to like totally say, make it sound like I think consistency is a bad thing, but yeah, like no, you said, no. I, I mean, I think there's many great reasons to think outside of, yeah, <laughs> like, and do what you're doing, you know, I mean, there's like, there's, you want balance and you want beauty in the wine. I think yeah. you need consistency in, in quality, like right the, the, consistency in quality. Yeah, yeah, but um, okay. yeah. but the flavor changes slightly. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And people can come and I mean, so your your website is s t a f f e l t e r dash h o f h o f dot d e. Sorry, I hope yeah. I got that right. Um, people can stay there too, right? There's there's sort of like a an inn, yeah. yeah, it's a guest house with um, guest uh, house? self-catering apartments. Yeah. Wow, okay, it <laughs> sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, it is really a beautiful area, right? I mean, I know you guys are 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 used to it, but uh, for somebody like me who's never been to the Mosul, I would probably be blown away. Is that true? 
Yes, definitely. And as somebody who's not living in the Mosul, I love coming here. Every day. It's, it's, um, it's one of the best parts about my job. Amazing. <laughs> it's, it's magical, man. Best customers in places. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. We actually, we were all at a, um, a seminar about the, how the Mosul was formed and specifically about the, the slate um, stone on my, yeah, yesterday, right? Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday we were all together there and um biodynamic seminar biodynamic seminar yeah like from a biodynamic perspective um how the shifa was formed um and it was it was just incredible to see how the soil that we are um working with is put together by an organic part a living part and also by um um, minerals right yeah the the geology and then the biology, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So it is. It is a real special place. Um, not just how it looks, but also the soil that's that where these mines are growing on. So um, I'm just so excited to see how this site is going to do with, you know, minimal spraying, if any, um, <coughs> flourishing ecosystem. What 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 does that mean for terroir? I mean, yeah. my God. <laughs> That's what we all get really excited about. Right? I mean, this is, uh, maybe one thing that I, I love that much about this project is um, this will probably be the largest project in Germany, at least for us, um, for quite some time, I believe. Um, because, first of all, it's, we, are, we know this is a pioneering thing and um, you know there's a lot of questions still around it. But on the other hand, as Jan said before, the common size for plots here is, uh, you know, half a hectare is, is already quite large, you know. So, um, you know, this is, and, and, and we know from scientific projects and other fields of agroforestry that agroforestry always needs a certain size to actually really show all its benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody can really say how much, how large it has to be, but, um, you know, this, then it really will change the microclimate, then it will really have an in, impact on biodiversity and really be an ecosystem, as, yeah. um, as uh, Kuzi just said. And I think that's what I get really excited about, seeing the whole development, um, you know, um, and the whole change of the site, because we've been seeing it so regularly now. And, um, and yeah, I think this will be a pretty special place in a couple of years. Um, it, it already is, but you know, it will really shine, I think, um, you know, it's just a gut feeling, but, um, uh, and I think this will express itself in the wine, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I love it. Well, I love that, yeah, yeah, <coughs> I think you use the term, um, pre-pioneering. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that, that the oldest company, oldest winery in the world is, uh, pioneering, pre-pioneering. Um, I think there's a great lesson to be learned in that. And, yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for sharing about what you're doing. And I, I can't wait to see what, what happens. I really appreciate you sharing. Yeah. Thank you, Adam, Thanks for what you are doing as well, bringing all of these stories to us um, through your podcast. It's been cool listening to you. Uh, my pleasure, honestly. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And as always, I hope that this podcast doesn't inspire you to hope, but that it inspires you to action. One of the kinds of actions that you could take to support this podcast is to leave a review 
You could also join our Patreon community. Thanks to all my Patreon subscribers. You're so vitally important to making this podcast possible. And there are many other ways that you can support. You can learn about those by going to beyondorganicwine.com and checking out the support page. Thanks a lot.